This podcast uses adult language. Listener discretion is advised. This is Kevin. This is Elizabeth. And this is the Lesson 83 podcast. So today we're going to talk a little bit about coming out in our first segment. In our second segment, we're going to talk about the Relationship Bill of Rights. Yeah. Elizabeth, coming out. It's a big deal. Today is actually, as we're recording it, National Coming Out Day. Yep, October 11th. Uh, Do you want to give a definition for coming out? Sure. I am queer, and so I feel like I I am pretty steeped in the the thinky thoughts about coming out generally. (laughs) So, yeah, and National Coming Out Day, of course, is about LGBTQ issues, and we're going to talk about the crossover and some of the differences in a sec. I would say that coming out is just... Decide, making a decision to be public with a small group or a large group of people about um, who you are. And usually that's about LGBTQ identities. But in this case, we're going to talk about coming out as polyamorous. So why do people tend to decide to come out? A lot of reasons. <laughs> we talked just briefly before starting to record it. You mentioned um, some people are just bad at lying. And I like that, actually. Yep. <laughs> I'm I, pretty, I fall under at... that category. Me too. <laughs> I'm very bad at lying. <laughs> Me too. And I'd prefer not to. It's really just laziness. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's hard to keep up a, a farce or to uh, pretend that you aren't dating multiple people if you are or yeah. aren't OK with that at the very least. Right. And so I completely agree. Um I prefer a life of authenticity when possible, and it has definitely lost me things and people, which we're also going to mention. But yeah, so I guess like um, just desiring to be truthful really is a big reason to people come out for any reason, you know. Um, So that's a big one. And I think we can also uh, come out in order to normalize polyamory or whatever other identity uh, to humanize Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. something that might be alien to other people. Usually putting a name and a face to it can really help personalize that for people who maybe don't identify or who are scared to identify. Yeah, very true. Normalization is important. I think it's a big part of why more people in America support like same-sex marriage now because mm-hmm. they they because of national coming out day we now know that most people know someone who's queer um and if polyamory had the same movement of coming out that the queer community does then maybe the normalization would help people understand maybe we would change our laws uh and all that so i think normalization is a great point and very important in uh, our safety as people who um, have identities that aren't mainstream. Yep. We can also come out in order to legitimize a, a non-primary relationship. So if you're dating two people, one of them you've been dating for a very long time and to the public is your partner, mm-hmm. you may have had to hide someone else in the closet with you mm-hmm. if you are not out. And so being able to legitimize that relationship to the public, to be able to pretend or be able to act out the fact that you are in a relationship and be hold hands and be seen in public together can really help those types of relationships. Yeah, I think being in a a secondary or non live in relationship can be it can be tough because you are often kind of like shunted to the side in regards to what the mainstream sees as legitimate, right? Yep. You may not be welcome at family events, or right. if you are, you're you're the friend and not the partner. Yeah, we've been there, huh? <laughs> I hear you. That's right. 
Anything else that you can think of that would be good to point out as to why people come out? I feel like those are the main reasons, but I really believe that circling back to authenticity, that it's just mm-hmm. valuable to, and normalization really, it goes hand in hand, I think, because the more, the more queer people we know, the more poly people we know, the more people will go, oh, okay, I get that. You know, that's not me, but I, I know someone who's queer or I know someone who's polyamorous, right? So I really do feel we can change the world slowly that way. So coming out to me is like kind of a service to the world. Maybe that sounds arrogant, but I feel like <laughs> it's beneficial for all of us who are marginalized in our identities or not seen as mainstream um, because the more we are authentic, the more people will go, oh, that is real. That's a real thing. <laughs> and then, you know, we'll have less less of these issues. So, yeah, I think it all ties together. So in a little bit, we're going to talk about some of the risks of coming out. But first, I wanted to maybe talk a little bit of how people might view coming out to different people in their lives. And I've broken into three groups, and maybe we'll we'll add on if you and I think of anything as we're going. But, uh, you know, coming out to friends, for me especially, was very easy. I really had a fairly accepting group of friends. And, you know, that's going to be different for everybody, depending on if your friends might be socially conservative or may you don't think that they'll be accepting, you may have to play a little game of figuring out what they might be okay with. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Um, very good point. So family, I think family is the one where people have maybe the most trouble because they're the group that are sometimes most intertwined in your personal life and want to share space with you in a way where it becomes important for your partner to participate at times, Mm -hmm. going to weddings or Thanksgiving dinners or what have you. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think coming out to family can be the most harrowing for people, whether they're coming out as queer or as polyamorous. I think that (laughs) my coming out certainly didn't go well with my family. And I went to a family event yesterday and could only bring one of my partners because Mm -hmm. they weren't cool with that. They were not cool with my quote unquote lifestyle. And they said, it's a lot. It's just a lot. And uh, to me, that's confusing because that seems equivalent to forcing me to choose one child to bring to a family event rather than it's more than one, more than one is bigger than one. Yeah. It's bigger than (laughs) one. What in, what in the heck? Um, so it blows my mind, but that's how they feel. And uh, and I think the more I live my life authentically, the more they'll understand slowly over time that this is real, this is normal, this is genuine, this is healthy, and this is not not even unusual for humans. Uh, yeah. I, I don't believe that humans are an inherently monogamous species as a whole. So um, I think we have variety, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, family coming out to family is tough. It can be really tough. I think that's the most stressful for people. Because with work, which we'll get to right in a sec, um, you can always theoretically find another job, right? Even if you get fired for whatever reason. So maybe maybe there's another job out there, but is there another set of parents for you out there? That's different. Different, you know. What was your experience like coming out to your family? Uh, I talked about it a little bit before in previous episodes, so I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Mm-hmm. But it was mixed and. You know, as I've been doing this for a decade, it becomes a very neutral fact and occasionally only comes up when my parents don't want to hear about it 
or when I shouldn't be talking about it to my grandmother, <laughs> according to my parents at times. Mm. And I've always been of the opinion that I'm going to be honest with people. And so if people ask me questions, I'm going to answer them in whatever way I feel is appropriate. Yeah. Uh, so other people's experiences I might be able to better tap into because I know some people uh, through the groups I help run that have come out to their family and it blows up in their face or conversely that they find out that their parents used to be swingers yeah. eight years before they were born. And so yeah. it oh, doesn't yeah. really surprise <laughs> them at all. Yeah, That's happened to me multiple times, actually. Uh well, not with my family, but with my partner's families, you know, mm. like, yeah, I think I've dated multiple people whose parents are swingers and they're like, oh, OK, we got that, I guess, you know. Oh, you add love. All right. That's fine, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but for the people where it became contentious, mm -hmm. I've seen it cause people to have to be excommunicated from their family, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Where they are no longer invited or aren't allowed to bring uh, anybody with them or like your circumstance they can only bring one mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. gotta choose one of the people i love can't have more than one <laughs> and so i i think that's the main reason why people are scared is they're worried about having a change in their relationship dynamic with the family members who aren't accepting yeah and that fear of not knowing being very front of mind the things that I can kind of talk about that has helped or to give people an idea of what might happen if you come out to your family. Mm -hmm. uh, I've heard people where their parents are very quiet and didn't ask any questions mm -hmm. and then sent them a long text or email later about how things were wrong or bad. Yeah. I've had people come out to their family and their family have a lot of good, healthy questions. Mm -hmm and want to know and be willing to look at additional information. Uh, they're, they're little piece of like printed material that you might be able to provide to your family if you're coming out to be able to answer some of the questions that maybe you don't want to answer. Mm -hmm. Or uh, digital so you, links. Yeah, so if you, you know, search Google for that, you might be able to find it. Just some of the bare bones basics of polyamory can help avoid a lot of the weird sexual questions <laughs> that sometimes we get asked by the people who we don't want to know about our sex lives, like yeah. our family. Yeah. yeah. And talking about people we don't want to know about our sex lives, except for maybe people in your position, <laughs> uh, you yeah. know, work coming out as being polyamorous uh, within a work setting. Mm -hmm. I think this tends to be a little easier for a lot of people because it's very easy to obfuscate and just not talk about it. In many professional environments, it just the, the most that you talk about is over the water cooler mm. like you can just say you're my partner my partner this my partner that mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah when i worked in uh, a gender studies department for several years it was very liberal obviously it was wonderful actually in a lot of ways and i was very out as polyamorous and queer obviously um from the beginning and they never ever batted an eye ever mm. i they my boss met several of my partners at once and never had a problem because it was a liberal setting that already understood things like gender spectrum identities and lgbtq orientations but polyamory was not not that not not new for them they all knew what it was so but not every workplace is like that obviously so i had a good experience with that but i've always been pretty 
open. Although about a decade ago, I remember I worked in a daycare. This must have been 11 or 12 years ago. And I mentioned my boyfriend and my fiance alternately kind of. And then one of my coworkers realized that these were two separate people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she finally caught on. She was like, wait a minute, wait a second. And I was like, yeah, it's two people. <laughs> and they were like, she was like, I knew you were like that or something. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but okay. But I do find that, yeah, it, it can be a lot of interesting responses because you don't always get to choose who you work with, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I've always been very careful and done it. I, I very much treat it as not a big deal. Right. I feel like that's kind of harder to do around family, especially if it's a little bit charged. But around mm -hmm. work, it's very easy for me to be blasé and just like be like, yep, this is normal to me. And so therefore it's normal. Yeah. And when talking to my friends, I, I very much framed it as how it felt very normal to me. And I wasn't the only one doing this. And I think that really helps if you come in with an air of this is just how it is. And I'm not really concerned about your opinion on it. Uh, sometimes that can help. Yeah. Normalization. Uh, yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about reasons uh, for staying in the closet. And then we can talk about what it's like and maybe similarities and differences between coming out as polyamorous and other ways. Sure. Uh, uh, what are some reasons why people might want to stay in the closet? Well, uh, there are definitely risks. Polyamory is in many ways illegal in America. Uh, mm -hmm. What's that A word that means you're cheating? Adultery. Thank you. <laughs> already erased it from my vocabulary <laughs> yeah uh, adultery is illegal in many forms if the if yeah, they really want to prosecute you know during a divorce or something and you're polyamorous maybe you're you know there are bad situations in which people can use that against you um yeah you can also be fired i had a partner who was fired for being polyamorous he tried to change which of his partners was on his health insurance and they were like confused because they were like well you have to have lived with your new partner for at least six months and he was like well I have we all live together and they were like oh you're fired <laughs> that's bonkers it was bonkers and it was a huge healthcare company that is theoretically pretty liberal but you know it's it's just like they just weren't even curious or interested in in any explanations they just it was a real harrowing experience but uh yeah it was they just were like well clearly you're trying to commit fraud because you know this can't be real and he was like it definitely is <laughs> there's a whole support group in our yeah. in our city for for this type of lifestyle oh yeah <laughs> or a relationship dynamic however you want to define it yeah i think that um People do worry about rejection mostly when they come out as anything. And people do get rejected, obviously, by their family, by their workplace, maybe by their friends. Depends. So um, rejection is probably the, one of the main concerns about um, and losing the relationships, which is kind of the same thing. Yep. And if you're in an area where there might be a strong rumor mill or mm. lots of people who might cast judgment on you, right. if they've found out. That can be a reason to be more inclined to stay in the closet. Yeah. Anything else before we move on to coming out in other ways? Uh, trying to think. You and I are both pretty out, so it's like harder to think of reasons not to be. Uh, but I'm thinking. I mean, all the things that we have listed are are pretty capital B yeah. big deals. Yeah. Capital um, B bad. <laughs> yeah. You're right. And um. I've been lucky, like you in many ways, in my coming out. Uh, the family members that 
hate polyamory, also hate that I'm queer, so I'm not surprised at all uh, that they reject those elements of who I am. So that was not a surprise, and I expected it. But uh, it is still sad mm -hmm. that it's impossible for them to comprehend loving more than one person. And it really blows my mind. I know I talk about this, but I can have two parents, two siblings, two pets, two children, two jobs, two names, two storage units, two cars, two houses, but two romantic partners is like somehow obscene or immoral or impossible. And I don't understand why that would be the case. We can have so much other love in our lives, but as soon as it's romantic, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. It's really weird to me. I but mean, cultural norms don't have to make sense. They're not obligated true. to make sense. And <laughs> so right. unfortunately, that's just the nature of it. You're right. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's all. <laughs> I mean, that's the reason why, even though it's legitimate, why there was such pushback to allow for gay marriage. Mm -hmm. uh, so speaking of gay marriage, mm -hmm. my excellent pivot. <laughs> mm, good job. <laughs> uh, to uh, You know, I, I don't really have a dog in this fight because... I consider myself straight, and I think the only way I've really ever felt compelled to come out is as polyamorous. So uh, why don't you talk a little bit about your thoughts on how this is similar or different to coming out in other ways, sure. or anything that you feel like is relevant that people should know about coming out for other identities. Right. Well, when we think of coming out, we I think most people think of LGBTQ issues first, right? So. Mm. Like I've said, I'm queer, I'm pansexual and non-binary. So definitely in the in the LGBTQ community and have been my whole uh, adult life. And I've known that I was at least bisexual since I was four years old. So I've always been firmly in the queer camp. And I am usually mistaken for straight as I come off as very feminine and people assume that I identify as a cis female. So uh, I feel like I have to come out often in that regard because people go, well, you're dating a man or two men or whatever, so you must be straight or because I look a certain way, they assume that. So I am often coming out as queer and polyamorous. So I think that it's, it's the similarities are simply that, you know, these are both non-mainstream identities, being poly or queer, and not not always accepted by mainstream society, by conservative religious society, et cetera. So those are the similarities. But there, there, there's also a lot of like discussion, I guess, around even the word lifestyle, which we've probably talked about. I consider lifestyle to be kind of a, a an insinuation of choice. Like I can choose to be vegan. I can choose to have pink hair. I can choose mm -hmm. to wear pants or skirts. I can, those are like, like those are choices, but can I choose to be straight or bisexual? No. And in the poly community, I think there's even a lot of discussion about whether polyamory is a lifestyle or an orientation or what that even means, right? Yeah, I have I have uh, one thought on this, sure, and yeah. I think that it boils down to one of the main things in polyamory. It depends. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it depends on uh, whether you feel like you were born this way. How core is it to your identity? Is it just a relationship dynamic to you, or is it something that infiltrates your life and impacts how you view and interact with the world in more profound ways? Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely individual in a lot of ways. I personally feel that 
I don't know. I'd like to, 11 years ago, if you'd asked me, I would have said that polyamory is the logical choice for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw no, no benefit to monogamy. I didn't have any draw to monogamy. It made no sense to me. I didn't want it for myself. Um, however, I do feel more and more that polyamory is inherent, but maybe not just to me, maybe to humanity in a way, because again, like love has so many forms, sibling love, parental love, familial love, love for your friends, love for your, you know, like your cousins, your grandmother, your coworkers, maybe, you know, your besties. Those are all forms of love. And I don't understand why romantic love would be different um, or why romantic love would need to be monogamous to be legitimate. So maybe it's contentious a bit, but I do feel that polyamory is both logical for me and inherent. So maybe it's both a choice and an orientation. Again, it depends, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think it really does depend. I always get my hackles up a little bit when people say that it's a sexual orientation Mm. because polyamory to me is much more about love and that would kind of exclude in in some way possibly people who are like ace or... Yeah. Well, that wouldn't that mean swinging is a sexual orientation? Because I mean, it, wouldn't... it could be, but I, I also like because I don't identify that way. I don't want to speak for those people. Well, sure. Um, yeah, I don't identify as a swinger because I, I just prefer the. I like the romantic elements as well of mm-hmm. my relationships, and they are many of them are sexual, but the, the polyamory literally means many loves, right? So it's a romantic identity, if anything. Yeah. Uh, so again, you're right. Like there are plenty of asexual polyamorous people. It has nothing to do with sex. It's about uh, love. I feel like I have tactfully sidestepped this a lot of the time by just describing it as a relationship dynamic. Because sure. no matter what, at its core, polyamory is that. And whether it is yeah. any of those other things that we were talking about. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, it really doesn't matter as much as whether it's a relationship dynamic, which is the easiest way to convey it just like monogamy as a relationship dynamic. Well, I think we covered some great ground about coming out. Uh, maybe we'll revisit this topic a little bit more. We would love to hear your opinions. So please send us an email, send us a DM on Twitter, find us on Reddit. And up next, we're going to be talking about the Relationship Bill of Rights, awesome. which is a great way to help preserve your happiness in a relationship. Yes, so stay tuned. Bye. I'm Kevin. I'm Elizabeth. And this is the Lesson 83 podcast. Welcome back, Elizabeth. Good to see you. Good to see you over Skype. Over because Skype. currently we're in a uh, bit of a health crisis. In yeah, America. there's a virus. <laughs> so yeah. we're doing the responsible thing. We're, we're doing this remote today. We are. And we're millennials. We can handle it. Thank you for joining me, Elizabeth. We wanted to talk a little bit about the Relationship Bill of Rights, uh, which is something that the author of More Than Two put together i'm sure it wasn't like solely their idea or concept but we're using their version of it because i like it yeah i like it too. Uh, yeah something to be mindful of is that the author of uh, more than two has a complicated and sorted history and you can look that up and see if 
that impacts your views of what he has to say. I think he has good information here, and I try to use what I feel like he did right, at least. Yeah, I reference people to the More Than Two website pretty often, um, even though he it came out that he had problematic relationships and history and whatnot. So definitely to be taken with a grain of salt. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to start, and then you can uh, go to the second point sure. after we've kind of talked about it. So the Relationship Bill of Rights is basically a list of points that are things that you have the right to do and have in a relationship. And the, like Kevin just said, the first half is just any relationship, all intimate relationships. And the second half we're going to do is poly relationships specifically. So, yeah, the Relationship Bill of Rights is basically you have the right without shame, blame or guilt to blah, blah, blah. And now we're going to start with the points. <laughs> so you have the right without shame, blame or guilt to be free from coercion, violence and intimidation. So that sounds pretty obvious uh, when you put it that way. But. I've seen a lot of people have bad relationships. Do you have anything you want to add about that topic or yeah, that point? I, it's, a, it's an important one. I think that's why it's first. The coercion thing can come in. I've had experiences where, you know, basically I've been unicorn hunted, you know, and, and it's, it's, it was a form of coercion at the time, like in that situation. And so I would say that it's a great point to keep in mind because if you feel like you're being coerced into anything, a relationship, a sexual situation, anything, that's a big red flag. So if someone says, hey, I'll date you, but you have to date my spouse as well, that's coercion. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just to kind of give a definition in case people miss the episode about unicorn hunting, we use unicorn hunting to mean any of the unethical practices of two people looking for a single partner to solely date them. Uh, so not all triad relationships or Certainly uh, even seeking yeah. out a triad relationship, just the unhealthy versions of that. And if you want more information, go check out our episode on unicorn hunting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're definitely right in that it being first is definitely a, a point to be considered about how important it is. Yeah, definitely. So do you want to take on the next one? Sure, yeah. So you have the right to choose the level of involvement and intimacy you want. And I think that one's great, too. I think we're going to say that for all of them. <laughs> to choose the level of involvement and intimacy you want. So in any relationship, you get to decide whether you live together, whether you have a sexual relationship, whether you have a romantic relationship, because every relationship is unique and different. And there are asexual people, there are aromantic people, and these people can be polyamorous as well. Because although polyamory focuses primarily on multiple romantic relationships, there are many different ways to have a relationship. So, yep. um, so choosing the level of involvement and intimacy you want is important because, you know, if your partner is like, I want to have sex every day, and you're like, oh, I just want to have sex once a month, then you need to figure out whether you're compatible or whether you need to you know, have your needs met somewhere else or whether you shouldn't be together. So yeah, does that make sense? Definitely. And I think uh, something to put a more finer point on than the than what they discuss for that aspect of the Relationship Bill of Rights is that it's something that should be mutually agreed upon. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, they're kind of alluding to that, but it's important to mutually agree upon those aspects of your relationship. Definitely, yeah. Uh, so the next point they have is to revoke consent to any form of intimacy at any time. Yeah. 
I think you and I are both big proponents of consent yeah. culture and yeah. that consent is very, very important and sexy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but outside of that, do you think that there should be anything added to or altered about that point? I don't think it should be altered. Um, I do think that people forget that, like, for example, if you agree to, you know, you've got a date tonight with your partner and you get sexy together and you're in the middle of sexy times and then something changes, whether it's your headspace or it could be anything. It could be literally anything. Maybe you're just not in the mood anymore. I have like safe worded out of threesomes before because I'm just like, eh, I don't like this. I'm not into it anymore and I'm out, you know, and that's my right because I shouldn't have to like follow through and finish the sexual act just because I consented to it at the beginning because yeah. consent can absolutely be revoked. And so maybe you, you know, could be, it could be literally anything. You don't need a reason to revoke consent and you don't have to like explain yourself. Although I think that, you know, within a, especially a romantic ongoing sexual relationship, it pays to communicate with each other. And if there is an issue and, you know, explaining why you had to stop the sexual act or whatever, can be good so that you're on the same page. Definitely. And I think that uh, it's important for people to get this reminder in ongoing relationships. It can be easy to fall into a habit and feel like you're obligated to certain things. Yeah. In a happy, healthy relationship, you shouldn't have to feel like there is going to only be this one chance to do anything in particular. Right. You know, a happy, healthy relationship. Yeah. Hopefully, I think so. you'll be able to revoke consent now and be able to pursue that later if you want. Absolutely. I think that that freedom is very important in a healthy relationship. Yeah. You shouldn't feel like, you know, oh, if I don't let them have sex with me, then I'm never going to get laid again or something. Yeah. Because that's kind of that's just that's shady. You know, that's not that's not good consent. Awesome. Uh, what about the next point? So the next one is uh, you have the right to be told the truth. And that one's huge for me. I have very few hard and fast rules in my relationships, but honesty is like number one. I can't operate in good faith and I can't trust you if we don't have an honest relationship. So being told the truth is like a requirement. <laughs> and and yeah, and I think that that applies to like, you know, lying by omission and to twisting the truth and like, you know, some things in relationships are difficult to talk about, especially polyamory. So you know, I think that it's important to keep in mind that you owe your partner honesty. You owe yourself honesty because if you're not being authentic to your own desires and limits and goals, then what are you even doing in a relationship or at all? <laughs> Does that make sense? Definitely. And this is your friendly reminder for me that I don't know is a valid answer. Oh, yeah. And not knowing is is completely okay. Yeah. I, I feel that a lot of people end up lying to themselves or their partner because they're scared or unwilling to say that they don't know something when they're asked yeah. or feel obligated to have an answer. And sometimes we don't always have the answers, even when we're being asked about what we want, think, or feel. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes those things come with time. But you know, similar to you, I very strongly value honesty. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm honest to a fault. <laughs> yeah, uh, keep in mind also that being honest does not mean that you have to be a dick. You can communicate honestly without being a jerk very you true. Do, do so compassionately so the next point is that you have the ability to say no to requests this almost seems a little bit like a copy of the consent one in my mind do you see it differently mm, well like the first one to be free of 
Oh, the third one, um, to revoke consent. Is that the one you mean? Yeah. I feel like the revoke consent to any form of intimacy one is like specifically more sexual related, whereas to say no to requests is like it could be related to your partner says, hey, I'd like to see you more times a week. You know, three or yeah, four. Yeah, I guess or... so. Because it does specify any form of intimacy. Exactly. So this... I, I, when I see consent, my brain automatically goes to the bigger version of consent, the more encompassing of like consent to all things and right. the ability to consent or not to consent to things in your life. Yeah. But I think that saying no to requests can cover lots of different scenarios. Yeah. And like if your partner says, hey, I'd really like you to be friends with my other partner, you know, my spouse or whatever, and you can say no thank you or you know not right now or okay you know you're allowed to say yes you're allowed to say no to a lot of things yep that great point thank you thank you for that yeah you're welcome uh, <laughs> you want to get hit the next point yeah uh so let's see you have the right to hold and express different points of view and that's an interesting one because there are some points of view like especially political ethical moral ones that if you disagree that's a deal breaker for a lot of people like, you know, maybe you could never be in a relationship with someone of the opposite political party or, you know, maybe you have to be of similar religious background or lack thereof or something. So, um, you know, you get to decide what are requirements in your relationship, but not everybody's going to be able to fall into those categories. Right. So um, to hold and express different points of view is a good thing. Nobody agrees on everything with their partner. So. I think that, you know, being able to have mature conversations about things that you disagree about. I disagree with my partners all the time, you know? And so uh, I think that being able to express those differing points of view without fear of some kind of backlash is very important because that shows that you're more safe in the relationship. I, I definitely agree. And I think that there is, I see it more oftenly as time goes on, uh, that people seem to be less willing to compromise on disagreeing with their partners or their friends on anything. And they're willing to delete people off of their Facebook or end relationships with them over things that may not be such a big deal in the aggregate or like in the bigger picture. But, you know, for a lot of people, there are a lot of deal breakers. And I think a lot of those can be kind of covered up front in your relationships, you know, broad uh, political ideologies or relationship styles or you know wanting to have kids those are things that might make or break a relationship but whether they i, I can't even think of a good example of what might be um, something less drastic that i would end a relationship for um i think i think what you're talking about makes me think a little bit of cancel culture which is like kind of a new ish phrase about People expect kind of um, political perfection from a lot of people, especially like famous figures. So, you know, if someone's canceled, then it's like, you know, we don't we don't like that person anymore because they said such and such one time in an interview. And, you know, different people have different requirements and and hard and fast hard limits for their relationships and whatnot and for their friends. And so, like, could I ever be friends with someone who voted for so and so? It depends on what my limits are right so yeah it's complicated but yeah i think that's good it is complicated we could have a whole discussion at some point about yeah. a, a similar topic to that the next point is uh to feel all of your emotions 
as somebody with a mood disorder, that strikes really true to me. I had an event this weekend uh, that I put a lot of emotional investment for, for some of my friends. Ended up not going the way I or any of us really wanted it to. And that was really, really crappy. And I felt a lot of feelings about that for a while. Yeah. The majority of my weekend was planning, having the event, coming to terms with how it went, and like the fallout from it. And I I feel a lot better now that it's all over and that things are uh, mostly resolved. But being able to have the freedom to feel your feelings... I think this one is super relevant to a question we get a lot from monogamous people, which is, do you feel jealous? Because the answer is usually yes. You know, we people do feel jealous regardless of their relationship structure. Um, It's about how you react to that feeling, you know, and what the base, you know, the the primary emotion is, whether it's fear, insecurity, etc. So I think that to the right to feel all of your emotions is important because you are allowed to feel jealous. It's just a matter of like, are you allowed to act shitty and abusive and passive aggressive to your partner because of your emotions? No, I would say no, but you know, you're allowed to feel your feelings. Your feelings aren't going to hurt you the way that, you know, actions will. Yeah. So, and I have seen a lot of new people come into the groups, like people that are new to polyamory or ethical non-monogamy come into the groups and get upset at their partner for feeling feelings yeah. and people putting rules on their relationships about like, oh, if you catch feelings, then it should be over. My general advice tends to be that you have very little control over your feelings, but you have a lot of control over your actions. Yeah, absolutely. And keeping that in mind and judging people more on how they treat you than what they feel, I feel like will probably end up being a lot more fruitful if you're trying to negotiate that something in your relationship or fix a problem in your relationship. Okay, so the next one is you have the right to feel and communicate your emotions and needs. Uh, this is obviously related to the previous one. I I think that people are afraid to express their feelings sometimes because they think it's going to mess everything up or they're going to make their partner upset. But like we just said, your actions are what can kind of make or break the relationship and what you feel is legitimate you know it's real it's chemicals bopping around in your brain you know it's cause and effect those are things you genuinely experience um and your actions that you choose to take because of those emotions are separate so um being able to communicate your needs is important because um if you don't then they won't get met probably so if your need is i would like to have a physical relationship with you that could be a need um or it could be a you know a requirement of your relationship, you know, maybe not everybody is interested in having a non-sexual relationship. So, or your need could be, I would like to talk to you at least once a week over Skype, or I would, you know, my need is for you to respect that these elements of my past are triggers and be respectful of that or something like everybody has different needs. So yeah, to, to feel and communicate your emotions and needs, that's a great one. And I think very important. Definitely. I think one way to put a finer point on this is uh, to also consider if it's an appropriate time to communicate those feelings. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. (laughs) If someone's in emotional distress, 
if they're just out from a new date and you're feeling a lot of insecurity, yeah. th- there's sometimes, depending on the person, where it may not be a good time to communicate the things that you need to communicate right away. Yeah. And you should probably schedule a time with your partner. A I specific agree. day and a specific time. You know, tonight at 7, tomorrow at 3 p.m. Yeah. Um, and I find to... that having a regular date, like a regular check-in, I'm a big proponent of that. I have two dates a week Definitely. with my spouse and, you know, on Wednesdays and Sundays, and we can sit down, eat something together and talk if we want to. If there's anything we need to check in about, about our relationships, about my other partners, about his other people, whatever, that's a good time for that. I think that springing a let's talk time can be very anxiety inducing for people. So in my opinion, having a regularly scheduled check-in is less anxious for me because I go, okay, well, regardless of what's happened, I know I'll see my partner on Wednesday and we can talk about it. I I agree. I know that for me, after having three or four check-ins with a specific partner in a row, that all go well. Yeah. And that there is like good resolution for. I stopped feeling that anxiety entirely. Good. That may not be good for you. (laughs) It may not be everybody's experience, but something to keep in mind is that you may be able to get to a point in your relationship where you can say, "Hey, let's check in tomorrow." Like, and for me, I usually provided the context, and all my partners knew that I had a mood disorder, and so they, I'm having a lot of feelings right now. I'm not really sure how to communicate it right now, but I would like to talk to you about it later. Yeah. And would set up a time then. Or they would like really feel like they needed to talk to me when I was in a depressive episode. And I was like, I will not be able to give you good, valuable, or uh, realistic information right now because my view of the world is very skewed. Yeah, definitely. You can find us on Twitter, through email, or on Reddit. To submit your questions or to recommend topics, please reach out to our contact info in the show notes. You can find us on Twitter, through email, or on Reddit. To submit your questions or to recommend topics, please reach out to our contact info in the show notes. This episode was edited by Jordan Davis, music by Antilude, and logo designed by Carmen Bolden. The best way that you can help Lesson 83 is to share our podcast with your friends. Sharing is caring. 